As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Christian Research Institute President Hank Hanegraaff. Our mission at CRI is not only to equip you with Christian doctrine, apologetic accuracy, and discernment, but to help you become a faithful apprentice of Jesus Christ because life and truth matter. If you'd like to ask Hank a question, please call in now at 888-ASK-HANK. That's 888-275-4265. For more information about CRI and the Bible Answer Man broadcast, go to our website at equip.org. And now, here's Hank Hanegraaff. And thank you very much, Randy. You can also contact us via the mail at Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. The resources that I talk about on the broadcast you can find on the web at equip.org. We will be going to your calls later on in the broadcast today, but I want to start the broadcast with a shameless pitch for a resource of the month. I am so excited, as I mentioned in yesterday's broadcast, about the book When the Church Was Young. It is seldom that I read a book more than twice, but this book I continue to read. And I think this is one of the books that is so important to get into your memory trace because it encapsulates a period of time when the church was indeed young. And there's so much that we can learn from the embryonic church. If you want to know how baptism was practiced, you need to know early church history. If you want to know the meaning of the Eucharist, you need to know early church history. But beyond all of that, when you read this book, you come face to face with some of the greats in church history. So early on, after the apostles, we have the time of the apostolic fathers. And then following the apostolic fathers, we have the great apologists of the Christian church, men like Origen and Tertullian and Irenaeus. And then after that period of time, you have the pre and the post-Nicene fathers, and then the afterglow, those great fathers that codified, not only codified, but defended the essentials of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In this book, you will read about great men, men like Clement of Rome, Clement, of course, was the first of the original apostolic fathers. 
He was a leader in the church. He knew Peter and Paul. In fact, he is the earliest apostolic witness to their, to their martyrdom. And as the successor to Peter and Paul in Rome, Clement, Clement was ever faithful to the sacred commission of both defining and preserving the precious unity of the Church of Christ, which, by the way, in Scripture, is designated to be the pillar, the ground, the very foundation of truth. You'll also encounter Ignatius of Antioch, one of my favorite apostolic fathers. Whenever I think of Ignatius of Antioch, I'm reminded of a man who was passionately in love with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A man described by John Chrysostom as, I love this phrase, a soul seething with divine eros. In other words, a soul seething with love for the Savior. A man who gave us a window into the orthodoxy and orthopraxy of ancient Christianity. And a man who, while in chains, wrote seven letters to persecuted Christians in the epicenter of a Caesar cult, while enduring an arduous journey across Asia Minor to Troas. He was writing. And of course, in Troas, he boarded a ship and route to becoming fodder for the wild beasts of Rome. In one of those precious letters, he, he testifies to martyrdom as the perfection of discipleship. At this very moment, wrote Ignatius, I'm beginning to be a disciple. I'm beginning to be God's wheat, ground by the teeth of wild beasts to make a pure loaf for Christ. He was, of course, the bishop in the city where Christians were first designated by that name, first designated as, as Christians. And there's so many things to, to commend him for. One of the things I think of immediately is his strong rebuke of the docetists. You know, the docetists were those who taught their devotees that Christ was merely a phantasm. He was only one who appeared to be human. And he emphatically asserted that just as the historical body of Christ was no mere phantasm, neither is the Eucharistic body of Christ some empty symbol. God, said Ignatius, took on flesh and blood in the incarnation, and that very flesh and blood is truly given to us in the Eucharist. The Eucharist which he dubbed the medicine of immortality, the antidote to death, the means by which to experience union with the triadic one. He was a man who, like Clement of Rome, was committed to preserving the Catholic unity and solidarity of all Christians. Now, when I say Catholic unity, 
I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church here. I'm talking about the universal church. I'm talking about the union of the body of Christ that existed long before we had terms like Catholic and Orthodox and Evangelical. But there are many other apostolic fathers, others that caught my attention in this book, were men like Polycarp of Smyrna. Polycarp was a contemporary of Ignatius of Antioch. And one of the things I always remember about Polycarp is what he said when he was asked by the proconsul to take an oath to the lordship of Caesar, to curse Christ and to live. Polycarp, of course, responded, 86 years have I served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? If you vainly suppose that I shall swear by the fortune of Caesar, that I shall pretend that you do not know who I am? Well, listen to me plainly. This is Polycarp talking to the proconsul on pain of his own death. He says, I am a Christian. But if you desire to learn the teaching of Christianity, appoint a day and give me a hearing. Well, the proconsul heard what Polycarp said and condemned him to death. At first, to be torn apart by wild beasts. And then later, when realizing that plan was not going to work because of logistics, they tied him to a stake and they sought to burn his body. Miraculously, his body was saved from the flames, but later he was killed with a lance and then his body was burned. Polycarp's prayer while while tied to the stake in preparation for his execution is a remarkable adaptation of the prayer, the prayer that he prayed over the Eucharist during the duration of his long and significant ministry as Bishop of Smyrna. And that underscores a very significant point. What we do in life often becomes the very thing that is paramount in our death. And I experienced that while being in the hospital just a year ago. The very things that I lived out in my prayer life became the source of my strength at the very weakest moment of my life. Well, all of this is simply to say that this book will put you in touch with some of the greats of church history. It also gives you a sense of how church ought to be done. So if you wonder, how am I to worship God in the 21st century? Look back to how the Embryonic Church witnessed, how they worshiped, how they prayed, how they were baptized, how they partook of the Eucharist, what it meant to them. This book is riveting, it's gripping, it's hard to put down. And it's available for those who stand shoulder to shoulder with me in the battle for life and truth. You can get your copy for your support on the web, equip.org. And as mentioned earlier, you can also write me at Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. When we come back from the break, your calls, the number to dial, 888-ASK-HANK. 
Do you know what happened after the death of the apostles? Unfortunately, most Christians today do not know. While some can trace their spiritual heritage to the Reformation, few Christians have a true sense of the history of the early church. That's why Hank Hanegraaff is eager to send you a copy of When the Church Was Young, a rare book of history that is an inspiring page-turner which will deepen your understanding of the profound debt we owe to the early fathers who preserved the rich legacy of the early church. To receive your copy of When the Church Was Young, Voices from the Early Fathers, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 888-7000-CRI, or visit us at equip.org. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with more answers from the Bible Answer Man. Christian Research Journal is CRI's award-winning magazine, combining eye-catching design with well-researched articles that equip you to exercise truth and experience life. Here's what's in the current special double issue of the Christian Research Journal. Dante's Inferno can help explain hell to modern seekers. Counter to our intuitions, Dante depicts sinners as eager to enter the Inferno, for hell promises to give them exactly what they want, their sin and themselves forever. Other topics include, did the universe really have a beginning? Christian apologetics in a nutshell. Christianity and the origins of hospitals and modern medicine. The indomitable human spirit of Philip K. Dick. Why arguments over fetal pain capability ultimately miss the mark in the abortion debate and much, much more. Start your subscription to the Christian Research Journal today by calling 888-7000-CRI. 888-7000-CRI or subscribe online at equip.org. That's equip.org. Dr. Eben Alexander's wildly popular near-death experience book, Proof of Heaven, assures us that no matter what we do in this life, only unconditional love and joy await us in the world to come. But our Lord warned that while the gate to hell is wide, the road to it broad, and those who enter through it are many, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Your generous support lets Hank Hanegraaff and CRI speak out against the lies that lead to hell. In appreciation for your gift today, we'll rush you Hank's book, Afterlife, what you need to know about heaven, the hereafter, and near-death experiences, filled with answers to your questions about life after death. Call 888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org now. Again, that's equip.org. Do you ever wonder what the early church was like? In When the Church Was Young, Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio dusts off dry theology and brings to life the lives of early church heroes, Augustine, Athanasius, Chrysostom, and many more. Long before the words Catholic, Orthodox, and Evangelical referred to distinct and separated communities, the fathers of the church gloried in one faith, the united body of Christ, which can be none other than Evangelical, Catholic, and Orthodox. It's time to rediscover our common inheritance and return to the days when the church was young to experience new growth that will produce new fruit, new unity, and joy. To receive your copy of When the Church Was Young, Voices of the Early Fathers, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 
888-7000-CRI or visit equip.org. And now, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. Again, the number to dial to get your question answered live, 888-ASK-HANK, numerically 888-275-4265. Let's go to the phone lines, talk to David in Tacoma, Washington, listening on KCIS. Hi, David. Hi, thanks, Hank. Hank, I had a question um, in regards to a ministry, uh, Justin Peters' ministry. And the other day I heard him speak on a YouTube channel, and he was talking about some of the gifts are no longer in operation. I believe he was talking about uh, the gift of healing and the gift of tongues and things of that nature. And maybe I heard it wrong, but um, but I just had it, you know, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about his ministry and some of the topics as far as the work inside the gift of the Spirit. Yeah, um, well, in terms of the essentials of the historic Christian faith, I think that I could say stand shoulder to shoulder with him. Uh, however, there are many distinctives that he would have that I would not agree with at all. And some of them are quite significant from my standpoint. They're not deal breakers in terms of brothers. Uh, and so I would treat him in the same way that I did in the video that you can find online uh, with respect to uh, John MacArthur. Uh, I consider John a, a brother, someone who's had a significant ministry, but I strongly disagree with his, his uh, uh, determinism, his bondage of the will. Uh, I, I think the whole notion of libertarian freedom, the freedom to act or to act otherwise, is is a very significant uh, uh, theology that that ha- has to do with many of the things at the very embryonic stages of uh, world history. Uh, if if you think of God creating people in such a way that they have to respond to Him, then you ultimately get to a point where you have to wonder where love is realistic or love is not realistic. Uh, So these are very, very significant issues and again have uh, significant underpinnings in how you understand Christian theology in general. Um, Also, with respect to his dispensationalism, I would have a very, very strong difference. I wrote about that in a book called The Apocalypse, Find Out What the Bible Really Says About the End Times and Why It Matters Today. In that book, I make plain that there is no evidence whatsoever in Scripture for Christ coming back seven years prior uh, to his second coming. So there's no evidence whatsoever for a secret coming followed seven years later by a second coming and then by a thousand-year semi-golden age with rebuilt temple and reinstituted temple sacrifices. Now, people in dispensationalism have all kinds of different ways of explaining that, but the bottom line of what I would disagree with is the notion that we're going to be raptured. Again, there's no evidence to buttress that notion in the whole of Scripture. In fact, if you look at what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, He said, do not be amazed at this. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will come out. Some will rise to live and some will rise to be eternally condemned. So what Christ is pointing out is that all are going to be resurrected at the same time. Some to eternal life, 
some to eternal death or condemnation. There's no sense whatsoever in the biblical text that some get raptured uh, and, and, and others get resurrected a thousand and seven years later. Uh, again, Jesus is emphatic, all who are in the graves will come out. Uh, there, there's also no warrant whatsoever for supposing that somehow or other the Jews who are being herded into the Holy Land in the present are going to die in a bloody holocaust that surpasses anything that has ever happened in the history of Holocaust with respect to Jews. There's simply no warrant for that. It is the cobbling together of scripture passages. It is the imposition of a paradigm on the text as opposed to reading the text for all it's worth. So there are points of disagreement that I think are significant, but as I said at the, at the uh, outset in answering your question, David, uh, I, I certainly would consider him to be within the pale of orthodoxy, um, uh, spelt with a small o. Well, I think I appreciate that. Hey, thank you so much. You got it. Thank you for your call. Dora in Walnut Creek, California. You're next. Hi, Dora. Hello. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. It's been a long, long time. Um, but I buy your books. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, you said something in your latest book about Mary, I mean, um, about Jesus uh, not having any brothers. So I went on a word search, and, and everything I read was Jesus and his brothers. And and would you please explain to me why you don't think that he had brothers? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I used to teach this very thing myself. And, of course, as I mentioned in my book, the Bible does explicitly tell us that Jesus had brothers and sisters, Matthew's Gospel records the rhetorical question of those acquainted with Christ's immediate family, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers and his sisters all with us? So I used to argue that there's no biblical precedent for, for rendering the word Adelphos, brother, or Adelphi, sister, as cousin. And uh, I used to say, had the, the, the New Testament writers wanted to designate Jesus' siblings as cousins, they would have used the word anepsios. Now, I, I freely confess that all of that was in error. And that's why I want to, if I do make significant errors, own up to those errors, uh, because I take my position of teaching very, very seriously. Now, why do I think this was an egregious error? I think this because both in Hebrew and in Greek, the designation brother or sister, and this is the, the operative point, both designations are appropriately used to refer to relatives as well. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. Not only that, I wrongly argued that because Matthew tells us that Joseph did not have sexual relations with Mary until she gave birth to a son, we're justified in believing that Mary did have sexual relations with Joseph after 
the birth of Jesus. And as I write in my book, this was simply wrong-headed. Yeah, there are all kinds of reasons for that, not the least of which is that we, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. And quite obviously, this is not meant to imply that Michal had children following her death. The point is there's no warrant apart from theological prejudice for holding that Mary and Joseph had sons and daughters following the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the real key point that needs to be emphasized again and again in this discussion is that if Mary and Joseph had had other biological children, Jesus, in concert with, with Mosaic law, would have commended those children. He would have commended his sacred mother, I should say, into the care of those children. Instead, you may recall that as Mary stood by the cross, Jesus Christ entrusted the ever-Virgin Mary to the care of his beloved disciple John, and from that hour forward, that disciple took her to his own home, as the scriptures teach us. So, yes, I, I, I think that, uh, that the teaching that I previously had with respect to Mary was wrong-headed. It was a theological bias or prejudice that I imposed on the Scripture, and for that I am uh, truly sorry. Why can't we get a, an English Bible, though, that is worded correctly so that we all understand? Because I don't know of an English Bible that says what you just said. I mean, well, I have the Rye Study Bible, and and I, I looked up all the references to Jesus and a brother, and, and they kept saying the same thing, so it's really confusing to Well, there English. are a couple of things about that that I would say. One, and sorry for cutting you off there, door, I'm running out of time, but one of the things I would say about this is there's a theological deduction that you can make on the basis of ripping, r r reading the scriptures properly. But beyond that, I think it's also important to recognize that if you understand the teachings of the early church that are passed down from the apostles to the apostolic fathers to the apologists and to the pre and post Nicene fathers, you'll get a good sense as well of why I would be saying what I'm saying today, because this is the holy tradition that was passed down uh, from the apostles to the apostolic fathers and so forth. And again, all of that, incidentally, is laid out in the book that is available for those who support the ministry when the church was young. Check it out on the web at equip.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our mission at the Christian Research Institute is to defend the faith, answer Bible questions, and encourage Christians to watch their life and doctrine closely. To find resources to help equip you, go to equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call us at 888-7000-CRI. You can also write CRI at Post Office Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28271. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported solely by listeners like you. 
We're on the air because life and truth matter. Christian Research Journal is CRI's award-winning magazine, combining eye-catching design with well-researched articles that equip you to exercise truth and experience life. Here's what's in the current special double issue of the Christian Research Journal. Because questions remain about the earliest moments of the universe, scientists offer speculative alternatives to our universe having an actual beginning. Nevertheless, the science that is known to be true provides abundant evidence that the universe came into being a finite time ago, just as the Bible teaches. Other topics include how Dante's Inferno can help explain hell to modern seekers, Christian apologetics in a nutshell, John Chrysostom, the Golden Mouth Preacher, Christian imagination and the problem of horrendous evil, and much, much more. Start your subscription to the Christian Research Journal today by calling 888-7000-CRI, 888-7000-CRI, or subscribe online at equip.org. That's equip.org. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.